listeners to the BHL podcast series. I'm your host, Scott Heidner, and we are recording here today at beautiful Lionsgate Country Club. And our guest today is Chad Tenpenny, State Director and Counsel for U.S. Senator Pat Roberts of Kansas. Chad, thanks for making time to come join us. Howdy, Scott. Uh, it is quite an honor to be here with the Don Imus of Kansas <laughs> podcast. <laughs> <laughs> So, uh, really been looking forward to this. Hopefully, uh, have fewer FCC violations in my future. Then. Yeah, don't model everything about him, but uh, certainly an entertaining feller, which you are too, and uh, can tell you enjoy this. You just you've had some great, great guests, and it's. it's an honor to be to be asked to do this. Yeah, well, thanks. Uh, we really have. I, I don't know if I'd claim uh doing an exceptionally good job at it but in terms of the guests uh no doubt we have we've had some awesome guests oh yeah speaker of the house you kicked it off with ron reichman uh yeah how do you get better than that well i don't know but they've all been pretty cool it's been a lot of fun for me anyway we're really glad to have you here and full disclosure uh to listeners chad and i grew up together we were on the same little league baseball team we graduated high school together both went to KU, majored in political science, graduated there together. Both went to KU Law and graduated from there together. And uh, yeah, so a lot of history here, full disclosure to listeners if we go down a rabbit hole. Uh, that's and it has been, uh, pleasure has been all mine, I assure you. <laughs> but uh, yeah, going back to Little League, I was thinking <clears throat> it's kind of an analogy for today is I've never done this before, uh, but I was the shortstop and you were the left fielder. So uh, when the ball goes through my legs, you were you were there to back me up, and I'm counting on that uh, today. So I'm about as talented today as I was back then. So don't hold your breath yeah, on, uh, yeah. on on backup. Always strategic and thinking through things. Though. I remember that. <laughs> I knew what I was going to do if I missed the ball, which I probably was going to do. So, right, always a plan. No, good memories, good <laughs> lessons. Yeah, no doubt, for sure. Well, let's, uh, on that note, on the Little League Baseball note, uh, let's start from the beginning. How does a, uh, a sports-minded youth from Tecumseh, Kansas, uh, wind up as a uh, council and state director for a United States senator? What uh, I know what your childhood looked like as I was there for half of it, but tell our listeners uh, a snapshot of, of the Tenpenny youth. Oh, man, grew up around Topeka, and, uh, you know, grandparents very involved in my life, had one set that lived on the farm east of Perry in a little place we call Billtown. We still have a little bitty farm there, but uh, spent a lot of time there. Had, a, had an, another set of grandparents in Topeka, and that grandfather was in journalism and kind of involved on the edge of politics. My dad was a high school American government teacher and, and a coach. So politics, public service was, was always kind of the dinner table conversation. Uh, competition mm-hmm. was uh, always part of our life with the athletic field. And that certainly bleeds over into to politics and public service. Yeah. Uh, that's most of the memory of our childhood really was sports oh absolutely Sport, uh, sports and cards fun stuff yeah. 
you know, just competing over little things. Uh, it's fun, and you meet you meet some just wonderful people along the way, and yeah. and can tell some stories. But Topeka was a great place to grow up. Yeah. Good town, and uh, you know, to have to be involved in agriculture or at least around it uh, uh, was really important to me, and some of the values that the parents and grandparents. Hard work, so forth. This is, has nothing to do with the topic, but it comes to mind. Uh, Chad and I went to law school with an interesting guy named Mike Gould. Uh, Jill refers to him as the Forrest Gump of the educated world because he just seems to stumble into fame and notoriety and stuff. But he has a. He had told me for years, uh, you know, if you can find three things in a in a partner as a guy, you probably got it made. Anybody that grew up on a farm because they know how to work, and anybody that had brothers because they know how to tolerate guys, and anybody that has played uh, competitive sports because they know how to be part of a team. And I was just thinking about that when you were talking about the influence of both farming and athletics as a kid. Well, that's that's well said, uh, Gould. I don't know if he just stumbles into things, uh, yeah. but uh, <laughs> yeah, very consciously thinks through uh, through things, and that sums it up pretty well. Yeah, I think it does too. So, yeah, I mean, we both were lucky, you know, growing up around there. It was just great family influences. Yeah, you mentioned brothers, uh, good stuff. <laughs> yeah. Well, the uh, sports and and card-driven youth uh, yielded its way to KU. Uh, did you put any more thought into your choice of college than I did? Because I didn't put any. Oh, you know, a guy always has dreams, but uh, Mount Oread is just kind of destiny. That's a great place to to end up and, and do four years of college and, and seven years total with, with law school thrown in. And for me, like, a, <clears throat> like I mentioned, that uh, – you know, the politics uh, was always part of the conversation. It was always it was on the news. I mean, I remember Walter Cronkite being, uh, or or Dan Rather, or Tom Brokaw, and just always paying attention to what's going on in the world. And then the opportunity to go study and more formally learn. Uh, yeah, enjoyed it. Yeah, yeah, very much so. Uh, we'll tell listeners make a, a confession here this is sometimes how carefully life is or isn't scripted but i know i've told you this story before as we neared the end of college it was the end of our junior year in political science and i was finally having that pang of you know what in the world am i going to do with a political science degree when i graduate in a year and felt that first pang of panic and at that point, you know, I would have taken any solution that offered itself. And I was having a beer with you that summer, if memory serves, and said, what are you going to do after you graduate? And I think your answer was the hell if I know, so I'll probably just end up going to law school. And I said, well, okay, there you go. There's a plan. Well, I apologize <laughs> if I led you down that road. <laughs> you did. <laughs> that... that I ended up taking that path only because nobody else produced a more palatable option, and I couldn't think of one on my own. Sometimes that's how <laughs> life works out, isn't it? Yeah, uh, I guess it is. But well, it's law school isn't for everybody, uh, as you know. <laughs> uh, D stands for diploma, man. Yeah, amen. 
and uh, we had a lot of good friends who who did thrive and, yeah. and really enjoyed it or practicing law today. For me, and I think for you too, it was just a good liberal education. Mm-hmm. We learned a little bit about a lot of different things, and uh, you know, I can uh, I enjoyed undergraduate. I mean, the the school part of it more than I did law school for sure. But in hindsight glad we stuck it out and and uh got that diploma and learned a little bit about a lot of everything a lot of different things yeah i am too all kidding aside and last comment on it i'd say more than anything i think it it just taught me how to be a better critical thinker how to shape an argument better and maybe most of all how to be interested in the other side of an argument even if i'm have passionate feelings on one side or the other to always strive to be informed you know <clears throat> excuse me know what the enemy thinks so to speak whatever so Def- definitely part of it and uh uh you know keep jumping through the hoops it uh you know you learn that in a lot of things we did whether it's athletics but this is what requ- is required go do it and then yeah. move on to the next thing and, and that's an important skill to have for sure perseverance well, let's move on from uh, the youth here. So I know when we graduated, actually, you and I took a trip out together to D.C. and did a little networking and job hopping. I ended up coming back to Topeka, but you stayed in D.C. Give us the, the short version of what took you to job number one in D.C. and how you got into it. Well, really, job number one for me in, in politics and in D.C., public service, was uh, I think after my freshman year of college poli-sci major at KU I applied for an internship in Senator Dole's Washington DC office and didn't get it the first year went ahead and applied again after the sophomore year and uh, still remember getting the call hey Chad do you want to come spend part of your summer in Washington DC and uh, be on Senator Dole's staff or do you want to stay in Topeka and work road construction so it wasn't (laughs) it wasn't uh, didn't have to think very long and uh, Washington DC is clearly a unique city in the world Uh, you know just people from all over so many things you can learn there Uh, at at times it gets a bad rap uh, but I've met just wonderful people through politics and public service. And so Bob Dole was number one, interned yeah. there, uh, but then... Came back, you know, finished up school, did some things in the state house in Topeka. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the coolest, I was the reader in the Kansas Senate one session. Yeah. I was, you know, this melodious voice right. called the roll. <laughs> eyes nays and that was fun that was my last semester of law school and and neat to see how the the state legislative process worked yeah uh then went out there networked a little um first full-time gig yeah so after lucking through the bar exam uh just loaded up the oldsmobile and figured if i was going to be a young poor attorney i might as well do it in washington dc rather than topeka or lawrence and uh just started knocking on doors, and Leroy Towns, who was Senator Pat Roberts' uh, chief of staff at the time, and Senator Roberts said, hey, you want to start as an intern here, a law clerk here, and you can look for another job while you're helping us out. And <clears throat> I found another one, and they're like, no, you need to work here. So they they hired me on full-time to be counsel, and uh, I followed you know a handful of legislative issues, most uh, interesting 
to me was some international trade issues and spent three years on senator's staff in washington it was great uh 98 was that when they actually gave you the full-time yeah in the 97 started in 98 and you took one how long was your first stint there you took one brief break into private practice government affairs in dc almost exactly three years on the senator's staff and then was one year with a law firm in Washington where we did a lot of government relations, lobbying, association management, like you do, Scott. Uh, Very similar stuff, but just more uh, focused on international trade type of issues. But the call of staffing was was strong, only about a year on that side before you came back? Yeah, it's fascinating how events uh, in the world work out, Uh, you know, George W. Bush won the 2000 election in a landslide. There was just, you know, uh, no doubt about who the victor was. But uh, so after that got all resolved with... with the, it, it took me a minute. Yes, I'm, I'm with yeah, you now, yeah. 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 <laughs> I mean, the, the hanging, what, what was it? A hanging month? chads. Yeah, no right. I mean, it was, what, a month or yeah. 45 days before he knew who the president of the United States was going to be. He had to go to the Supreme Court. Yeah. Um, President Bush gets declared the victor. He uh, nominates Howard Baker to be the ambassador to J- Japan, former senator, former chief of staff to President Reagan. And uh, he's married to Senator Kassebaum at the time. And so Senator Kassebaum is obviously going to go to Japan with her husband. And she was able to take a staff member with her, which happened to be the fellow that was doing the job I have now. So he went to Japan to work for the, the Bakers and the State Department. Senator Roberts says, hey, why don't you move back to Kansas and serve as my state director and travel around the state with me, organize my schedule, help out on the political side of things, manage our staff, and uh, just one of those you know, great breaks of my life for sure. So <clears throat> you'll have to refresh me on this, but I know the move from D.C. back home Speaking of life's fortunes, scheduled for, what, the day after 9-11? Is yeah, that when you... so, you know, to to move back to Kansas, and I'd spent four years in D.C. and loved almost every minute of it, but I was ready to come home and uh, scheduled September 12th of 2001. Oh, man. To, to move back to Kansas and start a new life and a new job and... Uh, <clears throat> take the metro into to work the last day at the law firm which was located at 1747 Pennsylvania Avenue and uh, get to the office and people start saying hey why don't you come in the conference room there's something going on in New York that plane flew into the trade towers and uh, groups congregating and they hit the second tower and you hear all these rumors of uh, Something's happened at the White House. A bomb went off at the State Department. Pretty soon, this guy who was a very cool customer had been a naval officer. He was on the phone with somebody at the Pentagon, and he runs in and says, "They just a bomb just went off at the at the Pentagon. We got to get out of here." So at that point, we exit onto Pennsylvania Avenue. And it's madness. I mean, you can see people running out of the office. Uh, There's jets flying overhead. I mean, I'll never forget that on a bright, sunny day. And uh, 
I lived in Virginia, and I just said, well, the greatest danger here is probably being out on the road. And uh, so I just decided to, to hoof it home, and I walked out of D.C. And I'll never remember or forget standing on that key bridge and looking up and only seeing smoke from the Pentagon because uh, we thought there had been other explosions. So Wow. Uh, and in the meantime, you've got a rider truck rented. Yeah, so I've got a rider truck reserved, and uh, I knew that that was going to be a hot commodity. So the next morning, I hustled down, got that thing snapped up, took it back to the house, and I threw all my personal belongings, which weren't many at the time. We were living six of us guys in a, <laughs> in a, in a house. But I threw all my clothes in there, hooked up with a with a friend who was in town and had him come over and we loaded up the truck and drove all night back to Kansas. Yeah. Uh, I'm sure getting out of DC in a rider truck the day after nine 11 was, you know, I was worried about that. And, and I think you're referencing the, um, Oklahoma city bombing situation with the rider truck. And yeah. And I assume that would be a high profile. Yeah, uh, We were worried about that. And, and matter of fact, the fellow I was with, his name's Mike Murray. I know, you know, Mike, uh, his car was parked at Kansas city international airport. Cause he'd of course flown out and, and, you know, no air traffic, but we pulled right up to, to uh, Kansas City International in a rider truck on September 13th, 2001, and I dropped him off, and <laughs> nobody said anything. I went on down the road and started a new career. Yeah, so. holy cow. Uh, well, that that is a more interesting tale than most on moving back to Kansas, that's for sure. Uh, let's switch gears again a little bit here. That's you know sort of the bio of, of your posts and the – trajectory of your career but i'd like to talk to you a little bit more about what life is like as a staff person and get into a few things what makes good staff person what makes a good grassroots lobbyist etc so you have not only been a staffer but you have obviously worked with hundreds and hundreds of other staff people both on robert's team and others what would you say makes a good staff person and and so you don't feel like you're self-congratulatory here it, let's talk about the question in the generic we're not talking about you we're talking about in yeah, general who would, who would i hire yeah who would you hire exactly you know i think <clears throat> and this is a lot of what maybe we learned in topeka and at ku that things aren't overly complex it's usually pretty simple uh, you look for nice people you look for responsive people you look for humility uh you know some of the hard work just basic things like that they're harder to to perform than than we than they should be sometimes but boy i just think you look for for some of those fundamentals honesty Mm -hmm. and uh those are the qualities we go after in the roberts organization not critical that they've got a public policy base of knowledge coming in Certainly that is an advantage, uh, but that's not the primary thing. Mm -hmm. I I think we're someone that wants to be there, desire. Uh, You get those fundamentals down, and then you can can add the expertise. Um, And the thing about the 
public policy in this world, I mean, everything's changing so fast, right? I mean, if you won't learn one thing one day, I mean, three years, think about your career, Scott, how many things have changed in the 15, 20, 25 years you've been at it in the, in the government affairs world. Right. Uh, matter of fact, this podcast is a great example of that. Uh, you wouldn't have dreamed of this 10, 15 years ago, but now it's, it's a pretty effective tool in, in uh, your lobbying toolbox. Yeah. Yeah, that's very true. Our friend Mark McFraser, oh, I think it applies here. He always says, you know, the job, the job part of the job is the easiest part always you know it's finding the right person and finding the person with the people skills you bet you know that's the hard part and i think that's true wherever you are well let me ask you a different question then and one that i think might have a more specific answer and it's near and dear to my heart because we are always you know professionally we're always talking to our clients about the need to be engaged and be an effective grassroots lobbyist and even on a personal level in my friendships and relationships you know it's frustrating to hear people that complain if they haven't you know at least treated tried to be fairly proactive in being involved so having said all of that what is the best way as a citizen to put yourself in a position to be effective with somebody in the federal delegation you know if we want yeah, I'll, I'll just start there and leave it at that. You know, how how do you put yourself, what steps do you take to be effective and have some influence with your federal delegation? Well, I think you're, you're talking about familiarity and trust. That, and, those would be my answers, but I guess I'm... No, uh, you're exactly right. Yeah. I mean, uh, familiarity and trust, and you just continually look for opportunities to uh, fulfill that uh, engagement um you know senator roberts uh, has a town hall meeting matter of fact we're, we're working on putting some of those together right now for him show up get show up at a town hall meeting just say hello uh, uh annual visits to to washington dc i know you you take clients back there three four times a year just uh, just there last week yeah yep. and you survived even we did <laughs> <laughs> uh, you never know out there but uh, we actually senator roberts was gracious enough to you know sometimes you get the elected officials sometimes if they're busy you just get staff we were lucky enough that senator roberts took some time with us while we were there well, I, uh, I assure you, he enjoys seeing people from the real world. You yeah. Know, and, uh, but yeah, uh, any opportunity there is to engage, uh, you know, the phone, the writing letters, email, all that phone call, you know, it all matters. And you just have to find what works for you and and keep driving your message home. But uh, familiarity, trust, just, just being nice. Yeah. Being part of the team. Yeah. Yeah, and you just, most of all, I think in the political world, from my perspective anyway, I say the political world, I should say the policy world, because we're not interested, at the end of the day, politics are what you navigate to impact policy, but policy is the real goal, and I think the most important thing is you just have to be present to win, you know, you just have to show up, you have to build that familiarity, you'll find this interesting, last comment, and I want to move on to a couple other questions about your staff time. But um, Attorney General Derek Schmidt, who I know you're very familiar with, has been gracious with his time and uh, come 
to be a speaker at a leadership program we put on for a long time for one of our clients. And we asked this question of him, and he has a great, I mean, tactical, implementable, definable list of things that you can do to build that familiarity that it's just awesome to see the class each year kind of the the revelation on their face. They never think about these things at all. He talks about um, walking in a parade. You know, he's like, my gosh, we have to go the county parade here, there. He's like, just to get somebody to put my T-shirt on and walk beside me so I don't look like a doofus. Those folks don't forget that. Yeah, and that's his point exactly. And, And nobody thinks of that. And he says, you know, you think about people running their first campaign, they may be looking to avoid paying kinkos any more than they have to they may organize a a chain of people in their living room to fold letters and stuff them in envelopes and stamp them he's like you know there are things you can do that do not require you to be knowledgeable about politics or even to engage but you can be present and you can be helpful and you will become forever remembered and appreciated by that person casting a vote show up at a you know, some luncheon and sit next to them and yeah. have a normal conversation. Don't berate them about the national debt or something, <laughs> you know. Talk about K-State football. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, think, I mean, we want to see the human side of our elected officials, but I think we often forget that they enjoy the human side of us, too. And so often you get limited time with the elected officials. I say you, me, our clients, sure. all of us. And uh I think we're guilty often of not showing our human side too, which is what it takes to build that relationship, you know. Well, I want to move on here, uh, even though we could probably take a lot of time with that. But tell me how, you mentioned how things change, you know, the podcast, that's not something we would have done 15 years ago. Give me a couple things that are very different about being a staffer today than they were 25 years ago-ish when you started in in a staff role. Well, let me answer that in the context of uh, Senator Roberts and a little bit about his style and uh, some of his mentors were obviously Senator Dole being from Kansas. But uh, when he came to the Senate, I know his, his mentors were Ted Stevens from Alaska yeah. and Dan Inoue of Hawaii, both mm-hmm. uh, World War II veterans and, you know, were uh, – just a little bit of a different style. They weren't out on cable TV all the time, weren't down on the Senate floor arguing uh, a point. Uh, Things tended to happen behind the scenes, and they were ranking member and chairs of the Appropriations Committee. And one way they were effective and the system worked uh, was uh, something called earmarks. Mm -hmm. And it's become... You know, we have an earmark ban now, and you can argue different sides of that. Uh, but I think one thing's no doubt uh, that it's harder to get consist- consensus. you got to get 60 votes in the U.S. Senate to stop a filibuster, and, and really you got to get 60 votes to get anything passed. And, and Senator Roberts and, and others n- know and understand and are able to count to that number. Uh, but when you don't have something in there for Kansas or whatever your district is, it's awful easy to vote against things. Absolutely. Because 
there are so many crazy things that come out of Washington and these big pieces of legislation, none of them are perfect. And uh, so the disappearance of the earmark has, is, was a key moment in our, our legislative history and uh, I think has helped, there's other things, but it's helped ramp up the, the acrimony. Yeah. I'm uh, Normally on this podcast, we, we don't dive much into policy and opinions yeah, and such. Yeah, those are but pretty I, technical terms. But, but, but by God, I'm going to lay one on the table now. Uh-oh. Whether you are for earmarks or against them, one of the greatest earmarks in the history of America was Pat Roberts getting the environmental study for the South Lawrence Traffic Way funded through an earmark but for that, we would not have a South Lawrence traffic way, and that is one of the greatest public policy achievements of my life as a Northeast Kansan. It, uh, well, when I look back at my career, and I know Senator Roberts, when he looks at his 40 years in, in public service, that that's a highlight for him, oh, I yeah, assure you. Absolutely. And, I was, uh, I, yeah, yeah. It, it didn't happen <laughs> by accident. I no. mean, that... 20, 30 years, there was debate and conjecture and hand-wringing and, and taking in all sides and, and points of view, which we should in this country, absolutely. But at, at some point, you got to move forward and get things done. And Senator Roberts saw an opportunity to put $1.5 million in a, in a federal spending bill to keep the, the process moving. And and there were a lot of people that were involved in that process. Hell, Scott, I know your dad, Terry, was involved and very supportive and uh, but got the process moving. The Corps of Engineers, Federal Highway uh, Administration moved it forward. And then Governor Brownback uh, helped make it a reality. So uh, uh, the senator is awful proud of that great highway we have uh, around the south side of Lawrence. When that, uh, when that ribbon was cut and that road opened up, I was out of town uh, and not able to attend, which just kind of broke my heart to an extent. But I can tell you where I was, and I had a very, very nice celebratory cigar <laughs> and may have even softly hummed the Battle Hymn of the Republic under my breath uh, the day the South Lawrence traffic way uh, opened. I can imagine you doing that. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> No, so earmarks are, are, are controversial, but that is an absolute example of, of how members of Congress are able to get stuff done for the benefit of, of their districts and their states. I mean, yeah. we've got a more efficient road. We've got a safer road. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and let's not forget, better for the environment now that all those cars aren't just idling on 23rd Street with nowhere to go. To, you're correct. Good planets are hard to find, right. Chad. Oh <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, let's let's uh, <laughs> let's turn again on the topics. And so, I've really, you know, most of this podcast, I wanted to talk about your world as a staffer. Um, but I know it's it's so very hard to talk about your career without talking about Senator Roberts because I know what an influence he's been on you, and I know the respect you have for him. Um, so let's talk about him, but let's talk about Kansans are very familiar with Senator Roberts because it was all of his years of service and his history at home. But I'm sure with the time you get to spend with him traveling the state, 
there are parts about him that you admire and enjoy that the average Kansan probably hasn't had an opportunity to see or be exposed to. Uh, tell us some of the things that are that are appropriate for FCC yeah, yeah, monitor yeah. radio that uh, that you would love for yeah, Kansas to know about. You and many Senator. others know. I mean, his sense of humor is unparalleled. I yeah. mean, the guy is is quick witted, and he just comes up with things out of out of nowhere that are hilarious. And uh, uh, to experience that in its raw form is, right. is special to say the least. Uh, uh, but uh, expanding on that a little bit is that he's always been someone that's used humor as a way to build consensus, to work across the aisle, uh, just a tool for getting things done. So he he has fun in his job, but he also uses that to, to, to get things done. Um, He's a huge K-State football fan, so I I know more about K-State football than I've ever, ever cared to. <laughs> but uh, he's, he's a sports fan. I mean, I think uh, when, he's, when he's not thinking about the farm bill or something else, he's drawing up plays and literally sending them to Bill, Bill Snyder. And, oh, that's uh, awesome. Yeah, it is. It is. Uh, that, that's his release away from work. Yeah. Um, he's a huge country music fan, just like you, Scott. Yes. Uh, he, uh, we drive down the highway. You know, we're headed for – we're just out to liberal Kansas, and we, we kick on Willie's Roadhouse and play Name That Tune. And uh, – uh, you know, he knows the Hank Snow era, and I'm I'm more into John Conley and right. Randy Travis. He didn't know those quite as well, but win uh, uh, Stewart. I gently weighed in and say you're both right <laughs> in terms of that <laughs> argument. Uh, all, all good choices. Now he claims he, uh, you know, before he went to Washington as a staffer back in the 60s, he was out in uh, Phoenix, Arizona area. As a newspaper reporter, editor, mm-hmm. publisher, which is his family background, and he he claims to have known Wayland back in the day. That's awesome. Yeah, R- run into him out there at shows and oh, man. say, "Hey, Wayland. Hey, Pat." Yeah, well, Wayland was DJing out there yeah. back in those years in Arizona before he was a star. That's that's awesome, and I I think it's worth noting too. Uh, a lot of Kansans may know this. Um, but I know Senator Roberts is exceptionally proud of being a United States Marine and oh, no serving question. this country. No question. And, uh, you know, to hear him talk about that is, 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 is one for him, I think, just becoming a Marine in that process, it made him understand that, that he can accomplish more than he thinks he can mm-hmm. is part of what the Marine Corps teaches you. And I know you've had experiences like that, that uh, we, all, we all can reach higher and climb higher than our mind thinks we can. Uh, he, uh, the other thing, the Marine Corps motto, uh, Simplify. Uh, he is a loyal guy, and I'll tell you what, he's loyal to his staff, and he's loyal to his family. And uh, you ask, you know, what we talk about driving down the road, uh, his, his family, uh, you know, he's... He's always talking about them, grandkids, and mm-hmm. just, you know, these are, and I wouldn't just say it about the senator, but um, you know, you're talking about your clients, 
what advice would you have for them that these elected officials are people just like the rest of us they have lives they have birthday parties and anniversaries and they got to go pick up the dry cleaning and they uh, got to go to the bank and just the normal everyday uh, functions of life that they've got to deal with while they're appearing on CNN or making a speech on the Senate floor or answering a question at a town hall meeting in Hoxie. I have to tell you one personal story. It's my favorite Pat Roberts story that I've witnessed personally. And then we need to think about wrapping up here. I've got a couple more questions for you after that, but you mentioned his use of humor and I've had an opportunity to be around him a lot and to see a lot of that humor and it is it's just gut splitting when he when he drops some of those things but my favorite one and I can't remember the topic oh, I can't believe I can't remember but I can't but we were somewhere in a public forum and he was just getting taken to task over something and it was an issue that he was going to vote on um I can't remember if it was the Affordable Care Act or whatever it was, but this person in the audience was just rabid and just giving it to him. And the senator was just listening and nodding his head and didn't didn't interrupt and let him get through this huge rant. And the guy was red in the face, and Senator Roberts says, appreciate those comments. I'm going to put you down as undecided. (laughs) (laughs) And it just took the tension out of the room. Everybody just laughed. Next question. Yeah, yeah. I'm going to put you down as undecided. (laughs) And I'm sure, you know, he probably has done that many times over the years. But, I mean, I just laughed and laughed, and it took what was becoming an increasingly tense and hostile room and just took the tension out of it and brought it back to a more helpful conversation. Yeah, there's no question that all these issues are so important to people and people's lives. And, uh, but, uh, you know, I've heard him say a lot, uh, a lot of different things, but one thing he says is take your, take your job seriously, but not yourself. Mm -hmm. And, uh, that's exactly what you're you're describing there. Yeah. Um, well, a couple more questions uh, for you. What um, besides the people that you worked with on Robert's team? Because I know you've got a lot of mentors that you've worked with over the years on the staff. But outside of the Roberts staff, do you have a couple people? that either influenced you, um, that you admired and wanted to emulate parts of, or that took an interest in you and helped guide your career and invested in you and your future um, enough that you'd want to mention on the podcast? Oh, you've, you've, uh, yeah, that's a pretty broad question. And there's a mm-hmm. lot of people I've, I've just been blessed with, with a lot of friends and, and, you know, I think first of my family, I mean, my dad, Dave Tenpenny, and and mother Ann, who's now out in Arizona, uh, taught me how to work hard, and just a great set of grandparents have, have been, uh, and my brother Scott, just been wonderful support in everything I've tried to do. Uh, I think back to our high school, Shawnee Heights. Uh, certainly some some coaches, but more than that. Uh, a great group of friends. Amen to that. That uh, 
you know, didn't let you get too cocky mm-hmm. um, and uh, kept each other out of trouble. Yeah. Uh, which is a big deal. Yeah. Uh, but uh, I, I often say that the best gift of my life or the best fortune and I don't know if it was because I used good judgment or it was serendipity or part of the two, but without question, I look at my closest friends from age 9 to 19 and where they are now and who they are now and the type of people they are now. And there's no question it was the best, most important influence and, and biggest blessing of my life, which, and, you know, we're talking about the exact same group of people. Um, yeah, and you you say uh, you don't want me to mention any folks on the Robert staff, but I'm going to have to pull rank on you. And, <laughs> and uh, <laughs> We got all the tape in the world. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm sure you'll edit it out. But uh, So one of the really neat things for me working for Senator Roberts is there's a guy out of our Topeka office named Harold Stones. And Harold, I think Harold's 87 and the guy still sends me more emails before 8 a.m. on totally interesting and relevant stuff. I mean, he's still working full-time and then some for Senator Roberts in Topeka every day. And uh, when we were traveling down the road, it's usually the senator and Harold and me. And the neatest thing about that is Harold worked with my grandfather at the Kansas Bankers Association in the 1960s and early 1970s. And uh, to have that relationship, he's just a super guy, great communicator, uh, also an outstanding sense of humor. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's been a special thing. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, last question for you before we hit our lightning round to wrap up here. So Senator Roberts has announced he's not going to run when re-election comes up. Uh, what comes next for a state director for Senator Roberts? Man, that's a great question. <laughs> Fortunately, we got, what, 18 months to mm-hmm. sprint to the finish line, as the senator says. But, uh, you know, uh, time to sit back and think and consider all options. Talk to friends like you and uh, and say, what opportunities do you see out there for guys like me, Scott? Uh, uh Certainly something in the private sector, been in public service from, for over 20 years. Think about that. Think about continuing in the, in the, in the public sector. Uh, but, yeah, maybe something more entrepreneurial. If, if uh, somebody had a business they needed uh, run and uh, certainly got a record of getting things done and, and uh, would enjoy that. Mm-hmm. But, well, you've got 18 months, which sounds like a long time, but I bet it won't be a long time. Goes Life by goes fast. by fast, doesn't yeah, it? it does. Got to enjoy, enjoy every moment. No doubt. No doubt. Well, let's, uh, we always wrap up with what we call the lightning questions. These are, oh uh, man. Oh, yeah. You should be nervous here. This is the hard part. Uh, I told Blaine Finch on our podcast, these are kind of like the Rorschach test, you know, the ink blots. I do. And uh, Blaine's like, oh, yeah, I fail those tests all the time. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, so, yeah, some last questions. uh, We talk about getting to know the personal side of folks, help our listeners know the personal side of Chad Tenpenny. You and I have, outside of sports, no question we have spent the most time together around music, I think. 
shared love of, of music, particularly classic country. You being a producer and me being a consumer. <laughs> <laughs> I know absolutely nothing about it, but do well, enjoy it. It's like the old Supreme Court case on pornography where the justice says, I can't define it, but I know it when I see it. And both of us know good country music when we hear it. That's right. And this question is, we call this the desert island question. If you going to be stranded on an island and you could take the complete musical catalog of three artists but those would be the only three you'd have hmm. who would you take what well, th- the the first couple are pretty easy for me uh number one and i think you'll agree is merle haggard couldn't agree more uh man yeah um, as far as singing songwriting performing being a personality yep. uh Tremendous personal story. Uh, Truly incomparable. Yeah, uh, the hag. Uh, I'm a huge Willie Nelson fan. I mean, uh, and he spans a lot of different things. Um, Our politics might not align, but I I give the fellow a pass. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I I just, (laughs) he, hear him play that guitar and think he's still going at it at 85, 86 is just awesome, I think. Man, when we get to number three, that's a little tougher. Yeah. Um, you know, George Strait would, wouldn't be bad. Uh, and Gene Watson. I just went to a Gene Watson concert not long ago. It's hard to beat. Guy still sings his butt off, doesn't he? Oh, man. He yeah. should be in the Country Music Hall of Fame. He should be in the Country Music Hall of I Fame. Love in the Hot Afternoon. Yeah, two of the greatest injustices uh, of, of our lifetimes, I think, are that Buck O'Neill's not in the Baseball Hall of Fame and Gene Watson's not in the Country Music uh, Hall of Fame. You want to get into Baseball Hall of Fame debates, I'd like to see Frank, Frank White, White in there. Yes, absolutely. I mean, how many gold gloves do you need to get? Yeah, World Series MVP. I mean, come on. It's ridiculous. It is. Yeah. Uh, but yeah. I, I sidebarred you back on to, to baseball there. But I, So we'll go Merle and Willie for sure. And Conway uh, Twitty, Buck Owens. Yeah. Uh, be right in there. Alabama, uh, Ronnie Millsap. Oh, Ronnie Millsap. Well, if I get shipwrecked, I hope it's on your island. Who are, who are your three? Merle, without question. Yeah. I mean, just that's a no-brainer. That's a runaway favorite. Um, you probably won't like this answer as much because it's not country, but I think probably the Eagles. Well, I mean, you can't. That's hard to argue with. They're yeah. just some tremendous songs. Yeah. Lion eyes. Oh, yeah. So I think Merle Haggard and the Eagles, and then like you, it gets tough from there. But I'd, if I had a gun to my head, I'd say probably either George Strait or Ronnie Millsap yeah. would be my other two, I think. But What's your favorite three songs? Oh, that's just, just criminal right? almost. Um, you know, recognizing that that answer changes sure. hour by hour and not putting any more thought into it, I would say... Uh, if we make it through December by Merle Haggard, um, maybe it's just on my brain cause we're talking about Ronnie, but it was almost like a song oh, yeah. by Ronnie and, uh, boy, I don't know. Um, what's his throw it? What's a good George Strait song? Uh, if, if someone was going to, you know, 
your band plays. You got guys that come in from Nashville. Yeah. And uh, you're up there. You, you're playing for tips, and somebody's going to come up with a twenty dollar bill <laughs> and pay you what half of what you're really worth right. to play a song. <laughs> what 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 George Strait request are you hoping for? Uh. Boy, I don't know, and, and that's a different question than what's my favorite George Strait song because I do a lot of his, but I don't do all of them. Um, to listen to, I might say, So Much Like My Dad. Oh, yeah. I think that song is just devastating. It is. Uh, but to play or to sing, uh, you know, Amarillo by Morning is the one that happens right. the most. And, and it's a great song. Special spot in my heart for sure. But I might say partly just because of how pretty the song is and having the Nashville guys up here that are so talented in playing it, I might say Marina Del Rey. Oh, that's beautiful To song. perform, yeah, yeah. That's a tough question, though, it man. Is. Top three songs. Chilvin Early Falls, one oh, of my favorite George yeah. Straits. That whole album yeah. chill of an early fall is tremendous but uh he's the man on the i don't mean to interrupt the lightning round no but, that's all right this is good but uh, it's fun. the connection you've made with those guys from nashville just really been neat yeah. uh, just some good guys and uh, uh i think sometimes musicians in particular they're not always getting paid the big big bucks mm -hmm. but uh i think it's important that you and and some of these other folks understand how key and an important role they play in people's lives i mean you may be working all week long at the factory or at the at the firm and you're looking forward to friday night to hearing kevin key play some mel street and yeah. that's a powerful thing to help somebody you know get through the week yeah it it's kind of you to say so, and and I'll completely agree with that. Not you know in terms of my own contribution, but just generally the I do believe that performing music is is just a major contribution to the quality of life of a lot of people for sure, and specifically the relationship with those Nashville guys and bringing them up. And some of our listeners maybe wonder what in the world we're talking about i've been very <laughs> fortunate to have for an some, hour they've been right. saying that <laughs> i've got some friends good friends musicians down in nashville that we bring up to kansas to do gigs with us and they're they're the real mccoy they're out on the road with the uh, major artists they're touring musicians studio musicians and so yeah turn that, on the grand old opry and hear them almost I mean, any night of the week yeah. yeah and then to have those guys up here in kansas playing with us and for us and it is awesome, and I tell you, it, it goes both ways. As you said, it's very cool to see how invested and excited my Kansas friends are in coming out and hearing that music and what they get from it. But it's been equally awesome to see these guys that play every day in a hundred different venues, how much they enjoy coming to Kansas to play for Kansas crowds because of how invested my friends are in the music. They get to play every day, but not every day for people that are literally just on the edge of their seat watching them perform and love all the old country music that, you know, is near and dear to their hearts. So it's kind of you to, to say that, and I will shamelessly invest in that statement. It is a pretty beautiful thing. It really is. Well, keep, keep bringing them back, and uh, <laughs> there are 
And it's one of the advantages I think we have here in Kansas and rural America is uh, we're, we're nice folks. We're straight yep. shooting folks. And, you know, that maybe doesn't happen everywhere else. And uh, yeah. uh, so that's the, the competitive advantage that, that I, the, one of them that we have here. I, uh, this won't do our podcast listeners any good because it won't, this podcast won't come out for a few weeks, but, uh, this Saturday night, I've got Kevin Key playing at Wayne and Larry. So uh, you're breaking my heart. I'm going to uh, be out of town. I hate to hear it. Well, yeah. We'll, we'll phone in a Mel street song for you. <laughs> or a Johnny Rodriguez. Or <laughs> well, we need to, to wrap up because I, I have kept you longer than I told you we would already on the podcast. So let me ask you one last lightning question here. Uh, another tough one, but I think a revealing question about anybody. So you have two wonderful daughters. Um, I would ask you this as the final question of the podcast. What would you tell your daughters to do differently than you did as a child or or into your young adult years too and and I don't necessarily mean something you know heinous that got you arrested as a kid or something just a a general um, personality trait or overall life choice that you think they can eclipse what yeah, you did so make that's a better that's decision. A great question. Could probably take it a lot of different ways, but uh, one of the the great joys I've had in, in being a parent is, and uh, my dad was a basketball coach at the high school level, but I've I've learned how to be a girls' recreation basketball coach, which is one of the the, the greatest challenges I've ever had in my <laughs> life. To, I mean. Thursday night practice from eight to nine to get the fifth graders to <laughs> teach them one thing in an hour that, you know, our whole goal is, is to, to get better. We're going right. to, we're going to work on this skill and we want to be better than we walked in the gym, but <laughs> coach for five or six, eight years now. And over and over every practice, every game, every time out, be aggressive, be aggressive, be aggressive. Uh, that's what I've seen in, in Washington, D.C. Uh, we haven't even really touched on campaigns in this conversation, but I think in many, many things in this life, there is no substitute for being aggressive. You're going to make some mistakes, but, but be aggressive, girls. Yeah, I think that's good counsel. Uh, very true. And looking back, you and I have been incredibly lucky in the way our lives have turned out, but I think it would have benefited us at key times if we had been more, probably. No question. That's why. Yep. uh, No question. Yeah. Well, listen, we need to to wrap up, but I can't thank you enough for making time to be with us, Chad. It was good to have you here. Yeah. And, And I've been excited to get this out to our BHL podcast listeners, once again, this is uh, Chad Tenpenny, State Director and Counsel for Senator Pat Roberts, U.S. Senator Pat Roberts, and a childhood friend of mine as well. So really enjoyed having you here. Thanks for making time. It was a pleasure and uh, look forward to many years to come. Here, here. Maybe we can do another podcast in retirement. Oh, round two. (laughs) All right. Well, thanks for being here, Chad. BHL listeners, thanks for tuning in. We'll catch you on the next episode of the BHL Podcast. Mm -hmm.